Oh, I forgot. I forgot I wanted to tell you all. Um, so I was talking to my mom and my stepdad last weekend. And my mom was like, oh, we were driving to the beach and we finally listened to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Loved it. She was like, oh, I thought you all were so smart and funny. And I love the way the three of you interact. And I was like, oh, which one did you listen to? And she was like, oh, I don't, I don't remember what you all were talking about, but it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but she did have a note one note um and i'm gonna go out on a limb and say this note is more for me than for the two of you um but you know well you all just you laugh a lot and that's great you all are having fun but it's giving very nervous energy <laughs> interesting yeah right <laughs> I, I'm assuming that's more for me, but I'm going to try and refrain from um, laughing as much, I guess. I don't know. I'm not nervous. I don't know. Anyway, I told her, <laughs> good thing there's only one more, so. <laughs> oh. Opera and classical music um, from our Black queer perspective. And um, you can probably tell by, from the, um, the, the title of the show um, that something's up. <laughs> <laughs> this is a show unlike the others. Um, and that's because, well, this is the last episode of the score no i know i know no. the last one triste. i know and i hope this doesn't um i'm mean, perhaps this might come as a shock to some of you <laughs> um but you know we have had so much fun over the last couple of years um, doing the show, creating the show, spending time together, learning from our incredible guests. Oh, wait, hold on. Hi, I'm Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Lee and Paige, as usual. Hi, y'all. What's going on? <laughs> but yeah, anyway, this is the last show. We've had, we've had a lot of fun, but, um... This is not going to be the last that you are hearing of us um, because we've got some big, exciting plans for the three of us. The universe mm -hmm. has put something big and exciting and gorgeous and lovely and exciting in front of us. Mm -hmm. So this is not going to be the last time that the three of us are together uh, in your in your ears 
but it's going to be the last time that we are together in your ears as the score. Mm. Mm. The end of an era. It really is. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have all of the dates yet worked out. Um, It's probably going to happen this fall, but we will be creating a brand new podcast um, called Art Class. And if you've probably, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know, we say that this is, you know, a podcast about opera and classical music, but we have kind of gotten away from that um, because we are three culturistas who have all sorts of interests in all sorts of areas and being able to talk about drag and the uh, birth work and activism and um, TV and movies and pop music and all of the other things, Beyonce, all of the other things that we are interested in. Definitely Beyonce. Because this is actually a Beyonce podcast where we occasionally talk about other stuff. The Beyonce cast. (laughs) The B-cast. Oh, maybe we should call it the The B-cast. Wait. (laughs) But with art class, we want to be able to take all of those disparate parts of ourselves um, and really sort of expand the podcast. And so it's going to be a new podcast with, you know, new format. We're still going to have amazing, amazing guests, um, probably some folks that you might have heard of, mm-hmm. um, one or two. Um, but that's going to be dropping this fall. Um, but what we will say <laughs> is do not unsubscribe from this channel. Um, because over the course of the summer, we are going to pop in here and there with some updates. Paige and I are going to the Renaissance tour. Sorry, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so I cannot imagine we won't have something to say about that. <laughs> um, as um, all of the um, details around art class start to coalesce, we can start to um release some more of those details because it's actually really exciting and I wish I could say more. <laughs> I wish I could say more. <laughs> <laughs> but the universe has blessed us. That's all I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> and um yeah and we're just we're just really excited but you know this is as as Paige just said um, the end of an era, and I don't know. I'm feeling kind of sentimental about it. Yeah, me <laughs> too. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a... but also proud. I'm so proud yes. of what we yes. have of what we have done. I am yes. also, you know, you know. There's a joyful retrospective happening in my in my mind right now. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And no matter what, I'm just so thankful that I get to. Um, spend even more time with the three of you, just Kiki, or the two of you, three of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also counting a meal. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, and just getting to Kiki with, with y'all on an even more regular basis. Um, uh-huh. Then that we, part's then exciting. Then we do hint, now. Hint, so. hint, hint for hint, you. Hint, hint, Yeah, so we're just, we're really excited about it. Um, 
And just want to thank all of you out there for, for being there with us through this whole journey, this whole adventure. I know I never thought that, you know, when Paige, you had the idea for this and brought the two of us on board that, you know, it would turn into all of this and we'd be in the New York Times and we'd... <laughs> <laughs> You know, make 58 episodes and get to talk to Denise Graves and Julia Bullock and Lawrence Brownlee and all the other amazing guests Monet we've had exchange. on the show. Monet Exchange, honey. Um, it's just been a journey and, you know, it, it's I've learned so much and I'm just... I'm really excited for the future, but, you know, today it's a, a little bittersweet, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> more on that um, in a little bit. Um, but don't unsubscribe. Stay, uh, stay subscribed to this channel. And we will be back periodically throughout the summer to tell you more about our adventures. But now that that cat's out of the bag. <laughs> What's going on? How are you guys? Oh, uh, good. It's yeah. it's yeah. been a an eventful <laughs> last couple of last couple of weeks, but things are things are going well post apocalypse with all of the horrible air quality a couple well, of weeks ago. All that horrible yeah. air quality came right over here and said hello. Sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was spared. Nobody was spared. Nobody was spared. <laughs> no, no. Um, but Do we, I, um, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I have been out and about in the city doing things, seeing people, uh, meeting people. And I just want to shout out really quickly a show that I saw just last Ooh, night okay. based on a movie that I loved in college called Monsoon Wedding by a mm. really brilliant director, Mira Nair. So she's I also love that movie. There's mm -hmm. a musical. I saw it last night. It oh, really? Yeah, it was oh, fantastic. Okay. My friend, oh. uh, Fernanda Douglas, with whom I worked at the Dream Unfinished Orchestra, was conducting the show and all South Asian cast and an almost all South Asian audience as well. It was fantastic. Um, I highly encourage people mm. to go see it, playing at St. Anne's Warehouse in Brooklyn, but it was really great to, there's something that, that's amazing that happens when you get underrepresented performers performing in front of an audience that is underrepresented in the same yeah. way right telling a story their people yes. <laughs> yeah. their no. people yes the energy was different you know people yeah. were singing for their lives they were dancing for their lives um it was really funny the costumes were beautiful um it was great and it was also kind of a reminder that many of us have the same immigrant story. Like you could have swapped mm -hmm. out everybody in the, this being an Indian story for this being a West Indian story. And it would have mm -hmm. <laughs> resonated in a very, very similar way. Um, but yeah, I loved it. So I, I really wanted to, to say like, if you can get a ticket, cause it was sold out. And I was also super excited to see that it was sold out because that means that people yes. are, mm -hmm. are aware and are coming out. Um, so yeah, that was a, a cap on a super, busy week 
That, you know, that sounds fun, though. I got quite a bit of secondhand joy just from hearing that. <laughs> secondhand joy. That's a great name for a, a segment on a podcast. Somebody should write oh, that down. Okay, right. I'll write that down. <laughs> trademark, game, trademark, trademark. <laughs> Well, I had a lovely uh, Pride Teenth weekend. Yes. <laughs> Pride Teenth. Listen, this may be my new favorite time of year. This, this. I feel like I got superpowers. Good. <laughs> <laughs> what? I feel like I leveled up a little bit. I feel like, yeah, like the universe was on my side. Like, just, it was, it was beautiful. I went to, I went to my first ball. Yay! Oh. Yes, I went to the um. Uh, Minneapolis is burning. Freedom Ball, um, yes. hosted by House of Alan Meekly, um, and you know, also just shout out to like the ballroom scene that is growing mm-hmm. here in Minnesota. That apparently has been here for a minute, but like now there's like just a new like energy of like younger folks as well who who are getting into it and, you know, throwing their own events and things like that. And so it was just beautiful to witness and to see. And my good friend, friend of the show, who's been on here before, Imagine Joy. Mm -hmm. uh, Yes, this was their first time walking a mainstream ball. And I got to help them with one of their effects. I got to hold up this little banner that they like busted through and started voguing. And so my first ball was also very participatory. (laughs) I also went to a Black queer wedding that same day. And like, it was funny how I saw a lot of the same people at the wedding (laughs) and then at the ball. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then later on at the saloon as well, same people, same crowd, same crowd. Uh, um, and then on Monday, I went to Soul of the Southside Festival in South Minneapolis. That was just so fun. It was like a block with several shops. I think uh, Arbiter Brewery, Moon Palace Books, and uh, I want to say was it Hook and Ladder? I can't. I can't remember another restaurant that's all in a similar block. Very very close. Up like literally across the street from the police precinct that burned down mm. um, oh, during the uprisings. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 So, you know, it's kind of like, there's various ways that the community reclaims that space, you know? Uh, but it was just so beautiful and black and there was music and there was food and I kept seeing people. I know it was one of those <laughs> things where you go to and every five <laughs> steps you take, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> My friend was tired of me because I kept stopping to talk to people. <laughs> tired. I, I kept t- stopping to have conversations and they were like, okay, girl, I'm gonna go get a drink. You just have your fun. So people were outside. Black people were outside having a good time this weekend. It was hot. It was hot. But that uh-huh. is, I mean, again, Minnesota and I being the blackest place mm-hmm. in the world. I <laughs> I savor moments like this and weekends mm. like that. So it was wonderful. Also, shout out to Kenna Kotman, who uh, is an amazing artist, uh, organizer, and just like real pillar in the arts community here. And I really enjoyed listening to them hosting a live show of um, KRSM radio uh, during the during the festival and just knowing how much they were a part of like organizing like the talent and someone who's constantly just uplifting black creators like 
mm-hmm. and is very mm-hmm. serious about black like and uplifting mm-hmm. black people and being unapologetic about it kind of got on the mic and reminded everybody including the white folks who were there having a mighty good time what juneteenth is actually about <laughs> um yeah i just want to appreciate and shout out them and the ways they uplift the community because i could see it all over the festival and yeah it was lovely i feel like i got like an injection of like just blackness and queerness just Mm. straight into my veins (laughs) feel great (laughs) amazing Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. black tink Queer taint. High taint. That's it. I kind of like black taint too, but maybe that's already uh, already saying the same thing. I feel like it's a bit redundant, but pride taint. Pride taint. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, because I went into the gym on pride taint and lifted 300 pounds with my little my little body 12 times what? <laughs> yeah superpowers okay <laughs> use the hell out of me right I, I strength was, of I the was, ancestors behind me. i was as surprised <laughs> as anybody <laughs> but there's a video on instagram if you don't believe it <laughs> Well, shall we get to it? I know a couple of weeks ago we were advertising our our Juneteenth Pride team, maybe Pride mm-hmm. panel, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it did not come to fruition. But luckily, we were able to have the amazing Damian Norfleet um, fill in. Um, but we do this week have our third annual Juneteenth panel. Hosted by our very own Lee Bynum. And Lee, oh, do you wanna it. do you wanna give a little intro? Yeah, yeah. So we were um after some <laughs> scheduling snafus, we were able <laughs> <laughs> mostly of my fault, um, but we were able to bring together a really amazing quartet of beautiful, brilliant black people we have queen heroine she is an mc and an arts educator we have the fantastic john lucas singer dancer extraordinaire and educator and friend from my time in hong kong we have uh, the great daisha washington who is a current uh, collaborator at lincoln center and all around extraordinary person and also uh, Grammy Award nominee and educator Curtis Stewart, whose album is out now. You should really go out and get it because it's fantastic. We're having a conversation about the intersection of Blackness and arts education, how we think about our art relative to teaching our kids, what are we really needing to focus on with our kids right now to make sure that we are countering some of the nonsense out there that's trying to keep our children from learning about our history and our culture and also we just have a a, a general kiki about any number of things but it's a great conversation um, and i suspect it's part one of a continuing conversation you know maybe part two is happening in art class at some point maybe okay. um but yeah super excited for everybody to hear it and and get some perspectives on how we are thinking about this across disciplines so you know it's bringing together 
classical music, hip hop, theater, dance, and more in this conversation. So let me know what y'all think. Well, I can't wait to hear it because that Same. all sounds like uh, amazing to me. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I can't wait. And, <laughs> and luckily, I don't have to wait because it's happening <laughs> right now. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hello, scorekeepers. This year for our annual Juneteenth panel, we're bringing together four of my favorite people in the world to talk about the intersection of blackness and arts education. We are very much caring about the future of arts education here on The Score, Abdi, and as part of our advocacy for it, we want to underscore some current realities, opportunities, and challenges associated with the work in this space. Our guests today represent the worlds of dance, music, drama, and more. And we do acknowledge that we really cannot categorize any art form easily as belonging to one demographic group. And all of our work as educators reaches, reach more than just the one demographic category of student. But we also wanna take a moment and really highlight what is unique about black cultural output Black students and the overall context in which we're working. So without further ado, I will introduce our panel. So I will start with our friend, Curtis Stewart. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Curtis Stewart. I'm a violinist composer coming to you. I'm a faculty member of the Juilliard School and the artistic director of the American Composers Orchestra and a member of the Public Quartet. Thank you for being here today, Curtis. Happy to. And next we have Daisha Washington. Hi Lee, it's Daisha Washington. Um, I work for Lincoln Center Education, Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. Um, I'm an actress, director, educator, and um, I'm thrilled to be here part of this conversation today. I'm thrilled to have you here and it is not nepotism that brought you here at all. <laughs> um, next up, Queen Heroine. Hello everyone, Queen Heroin. I am the Chief Curriculum Officer at the Hip Hop Education Center, uh, 20 years in education, the education department or field, and um, also an MC. So I've been in that field as well for 20 plus years also. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Your Majesty. And last but certainly not least, John Lucas. Hello everybody, my name is John Lucas. I am a singer, actor, dancer, and a hand model. <laughs> um, I am a proud member of Actors Equity and the Screen Actors Guild, and I'm also um, the president and CEO of Step Into the Light, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that provides educational and arts programs and resources to underserved and underprivileged youth uh, with a targeted focus on the Black freedom community. Thank you, John. And I definitely want to share with everyone that John and I go way back across decades and continents, and I'm super excited to have him with us today. So I just want to jump right in and, and sort of get to the, the thing that brought me here as a topic area, because um, I've been really concerned about the ways that we've been seeing growing consternation around perceptions of what critical race theory is and the sort of large scale retreat from teaching topics from black culture and history in public school classrooms. So the first question I wanna throw out to the panel, 
how has this affected your work and and how are you approaching interacting with black students considering this this context that that exists for all of us right now and any of you can can jump right in with this because I'm, I'm sure it's touching everybody in some way I'll, I'll jump in i'll jump in and say uh this is queen heroin i'll jump in and say that i think that in education and as an educator and right now more so curriculum development and writer there is a responsibility and consciousness with how we approach education by infusing, consciously infusing, making a choice to infuse our cultural relevancy into the conversation for students. And I say that mostly because of a sense of identity and connection. Um, this is who we are, this is what we do. So previously, very recently, um, although I did leave the classroom in a formal sense, I was teaching in Mount Vernon, New York. Um, but even before then, I've also, shout out to John, mm -hmm. step into the light. I've taught in Chicago, I lived in Chicago for four years as well. And so there is a real part of what we do and who we are and infusing um, Black culture, Black identity, um, Black history through the arts and just generally speaking into curriculum, into instruction so that there can be a sense of self, um, a way for us to communicate and connect with the youth that's authentic, a way that feels real, a way, a way that makes um, it feel like there's, there's a sense of just, again, identity, you know, just, again, identity. And I think as an educator, once you create a space where there's some sense of self-reflection, there's some sense of, yes, I belong here, yes, I am here, then actual learning, growth, expansion, creative expansion, and conversation can happen. So for me personally, there's always a consciousness with infusing who I am, who my students are, and how Black culture plays a role into the creative and educational space. My guess is that's everyone here on the panel, but I would say certainly a sense of consciousness and awareness as you develop and create curriculum that aligns and identifies with who we are and who they are so that growth can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm, I'm curious, Queen, just as a, a quick follow-up, in the, in the hip hop space, do you feel like you've had maybe more or, or less freedom, right, in this particular political moment to, to move? Because I, I feel like a, a lot of the attention is, is turned to historical topics. And, and I'm curious if maybe things that are a little more contemporary uh, slide through sometimes. I appreciate that question, um, Lee. I think that it's interesting what resonated. Obviously, I heard everything that you said, but the one word that really stood out was politics. Mm. And I think when we're talking about education, what word connects with me with politics is administration, yeah. right? Because administration becomes the political stance and where you have a sense of freedom and flexibility or don't in order to infuse who you are and your perspective and approach to education and how you choose to connect with students. So you either have an administrative, AKA pol uh, political team mm -hmm. who's willing to support, understand and foster growth and be aware and cognizant of the children and the population, um, or you don't. And then you're placed into two spaces. One of those where you either don't 
infuse that sense of Black excellence and Black culture into the curriculum, or you take your chances and you do, and you deal with the consequences of whatever that is. And that's real for us too, as Black educators yeah. um, and educators of color. So you're either taking the chance to say, well, if, if the political, if the administrative team does not necessarily support this, I'm going to supersede that and understand the population and how relevant and important it is for just identity, growth, expansion, learning, or you have a team that's supportive and allows for that and encourages that sense. I will say this, I do think that we're growing. I do think that we're growing in a way where people are finally starting to see um, in a very commonplace space that hip hop education, black excellence, black culture, black voices through all of the different art realms is relevant, is important, and is not only affecting our culture, but why I think this is really happening now beyond shout out to, you know, hip hop 50, we're 50 years now <laughs> on, on the books, at least. <laughs> I think that there is a real sense of, wow, this culture is expanding and, 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 and exposing and affecting everyone. This is why I think there's a serious relevancy now. It's always affected us because this is what we do. But the fact that it's now affecting every aspect, marketing, promotion, other ethnicities, now I think it's seriously becoming relevant and people are having conversations. How can we take this serious and actually formally and acceptably um, incorporate it into curriculum? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, if I may, Daisha, I know you've done a bit of work um, with the United Way on behalf of the New York City Department of Education around curricular items specific to Black culture. Have you found some, some similar um, things that, as Queen has mentioned? Well, first of all, shout out to Queen and shout out to Mount Vernon, New York. Money earning Mount Vernon. I'm sitting down the street from <laughs> D Park on Lorraine. And um, yeah, my, my aunt used to live on Lorraine Terrace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah represent. Um, yeah, so similar things. So um, I think that what I have found, or what I was thinking about as I was listening to Queen, is this. Um, I was I was recalling this sense of fatigue mm -hmm. that I noticed among students, and the fatigue that was conveyed to me was that students were tired of hearing about slavery, they're tired of hearing about the civil rights movement, and oftentimes would conflate the two even. Hmm. Just, you know, I'd show them a picture from the civil rights movement, and they say, oh, miss, this is about slavery, right? And I'd say, well, yes, but, you know, this is a manifestation of that system, right? We're still in the system. And so I think that what is beautiful about or what I want to be beautiful about the time that we're entering now is the celebration of Black excellence, of Black joy, of um, resilience, of things that aren't necessarily focused on in curriculums. And so to the extent that we can learn the history, but it, that it is about uplifting. Um, and I think that that's really one of the things that I've been thinking about with this United Way curriculum that Lee mentioned is, who and how is it going to be facilitated, hmm. right? It's one thing to create a curriculum, but it is another thing that's being laid onto a system that's been in place for so long. 
people teach the way that they were taught and they teach based on what they learned in college and are slow to shift. You know, there's a, a, a resistance. And so how you get um, teachers from a variety of backgrounds to teach with joy and pride in culture to young Black boys and girls in their classrooms, I don't know, right? And how you create something that's not just going to be another thing on their list, but that they see and value as being really um, essential, not just for you know the Black children, the Brown children that are in front of them, but for all of the children, because that celebration of Black joy and Black excellence are about also educating all people about our culture. And so I have concerns, but I also have a great deal of hope at this time. Yeah, yeah. But we're, and, gonna have to be, we're gonna have to be really intentional and we're gonna have to be really watchful for that. You know, it can't just be like, you know, another day of celebration or it's Black History Month. So let's talk about this. It needs to be at every juncture of history Black people have been a part of forming that history, particularly in, the, in this country. And it hasn't all been about struggle. There's been joy, there's been accomplishment, there's been artistry, and, and that's what we need to lift up. So if I can, I, I wanna pull on this thread a little bit around um, how we, we've always been here, right? And, and are, are sort of a, a cornerstone of American culture. A few months ago, we had that lovely film based on the life of the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, and it served as a powerful reminder that um, people of African descent have been present in the music of Western Europe for centuries. And, you know, similarly on a, another podcast, not this one, but one I love so much, Louder Than a Riot, Sidney Madden said, every genre that is born from America has black roots associated with it, from rock and roll to blues to disco. The fingerprints of black creators are all over what makes American music so unique. And I would also argue American dance, um, period, right? So I'm, I'm curious, how is this reality informing uh, the work of the folks on the panel? Um, yeah, I, that's my, this is Chris here. Um, that's my stance in general, that there is no American music, there's no American classical music without the blues. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, even if you look to the people who are hailed as, you know, our great American masters, you know, uh, the, the ones that made make it into the quote-unquote history books, you know, Copeland, Bernstein, Adams, all these people, there's, there's, there's blues in all of that. And that, that music has been, um, uh, put in a different place, literal place, you know, that there's these genius musicians who um, were not given stage on those classical in this, in these um, concert halls. And um, so they created their own music and it, it became what, what people then called jazz and sold as jazz. And that then became, you know, became the blues and rhythm and blues and rock and roll and all those things. Um, First, I, I actually really love a European um, composer of African descent, um, Coleridge Taylor, Samuel Coleridge mm -hmm. Taylor, mm -hmm. who did a a project much like what Bella Bartok did, where he he went out and he searched for melodies, 24 Negro melodies from the African diaspora, and he set them to piano. 
he said, you know, he's solo piano and they have a very um, late 1800s uh, romantic aesthetic to them. But it's like, you know, Deep River and uh, the angels changed my name and all these and African West African uh, folk songs as well. They will not lend me a child. Um, and so he's exploring the culture of of, of African and black descent um, through the piano and through this romantic um language musical language and that has existed and i'm sure that has existed in addition to coleridge taylor for all, all those people who did not were not published the people who were published and then their 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 documents were thrown away i mean we're even just referring to joseph Boulogne, the chevalier de saint george you know much of his work was was burned mm -hmm. much of his work is not we don't know about it and i mean i we and I think the movie is good in that it, it says that at the end that much of his work is burned as a kind of ras rationalization for why we don't know about him. But the thing is, you know, a lot of the work, you know, there was a lot of other composers in France that that's work was burned during the French Revolution. And we know all about them. Right. So, you know, these people who did um, who, you know, get their doctorate degrees have, you know, they decided that they want to study Lully and, you know, all these all these other French composers. And, and so there's a whole academic um, focus um, and study and breadth of, of of research that we are still in in desperate need of of completing. Absolutely, and and that sort of idea. Um, and I don't want to throw my fellow historians and musicologists under any buses, at, at least in this particular conversation. But I, I feel like we're always sort of wrestling with censorship on some level, right? Like either censorship or erasure, right? And it feels like it's more alive and well in schools right now than it has been for 60 or 70 years, everywhere from the library to the stage in the auditorium. Has this presented challenges for any of you? Um. I will say, hi, this is John Lucas. Um, I will say that um, when you talk about uh, erasure and uh, censorship, when you're talking about critical race theory and so on and so forth, our history being erased for our Black kids is something that is uh, very scary. Uh, we're we're kind of, we're in a time where the youth are uh, enlightened in ways, but also in ways um, they are behind. And um, it is because a lot of their history has not been taught to them. Mm -hmm. um, it has not been discussed. Um, one of the things that I constantly uh, talk, being you know in the Chicago area, the majority of the Black kids are um, uh, maybe third, fourth generation of the Great Migration. You know, um, we find that Generation X, for a lot of the people that migrated. Um, up north, we were the generation where our grandparents did not talk about what happened in the South mm -hmm. in full context. Um, there's a lot of trauma uh, with it, and therefore it was not discussed. And unfortunately, because that information was not passed down, um, there there's a lack of appreciation. Um, I think um, Miss Dacia was talking about how kids don't want to talk about slavery or mm -hmm. the Jim Crow era. But um, those things still need to be talked about because we are quick to forget. And when you forget history, it repeats itself. Um, mm -hmm. As well, when you look amongst all of the things that were happening, whether it was slavery, whether it was Jim Crow, 
art was happening all in and throughout it. And um, so with that history, we also need to be talking about the culture of art in its many different forms and how it influenced and, and created many nuances of the Black experience um, in the hopes that it will ignite a fire in um, this new generation of youth so that they will become our next artists and feel that they actually uh, can explore their talent and do so because uh, as Queen Heroin was talking about politics, um, politics does, uh, it can dictate um, the culture of the society. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I think one of the worst things that could have ever happened in modern history was when the Reagan administration uh, cut the National Endowment for the Arts in half. Yeah. Um, and what it did for public schools and arts in public schools. And you saw an immediate shift, not just affecting people by race or nationality, but even by the size of the student. Um, there became an automatic shift of athletics being pushed on tall kids. I was a singer in Jubilee in Las Vegas. It was one of the last um, Las Vegas showboy and showgirl shows. Um, and in Las Vegas, they are known for their tall dancers, right? And so the shortest showgirls at the time of the inception of Jubilee was 5'8". Hmm. Those were the shortest girls on the stage. And it was a <laughs> cast of 80 people. I think 80 people um, was the, the whole total cast. And the shortest girls were 5'8". The tallest girls were like 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, All dancers. Well, come 20 years later, they had to... Uh, lower the height requirement. Why? Because all of the tall people did not have the option to be dancers now. They were all, the, the girls were automatically pushed towards volleyball, towards basketball, right? And so there you go, you see a political shift mm -hmm. happening right, right then and there. They take the money away, the government takes the money away. Well, now there's less um, access for school, uh, for kids that don't have a privileged household that can provide arts to them. And it therefore will determine what type of product we get in our youth. And so um, it's all tied together. But I think politics is huge, whether it is, you know, they're trying to decide what kids should learn or what access they have to the many different arts that are important to the growth of our youth. John, let me ask you a quick follow-up because that's such an interesting point and, and one that I wouldn't necessarily have put together. But one thing that I've been noticing, um, a lot of how kids are communicating with each other around dance is through TikTok, right? Like you, you see that that is, you know, maybe even a primary mode of how kids are communicating around that. And it's really, really international. And, you know, I, I saw this TikTok last week with these kids from South Korea, and they were dancing to, uh, what was it? Um, I'll be missing you, uh, Sean Combs and Faith Evans, right? And they were dancing like it was a fun song because they probably didn't, you know, have the English language skills to know the broader context, right? That this is not quite a party song. But what I thought was interesting in that moment is they also may not have had a tremendous context for the dances that they were doing were, you know, sort of born out of the African diaspora. And are you seeing the, the erasure also showing up in, in those kinds of ways? Um, absolutely. I think that um, there's 
we talk about appropriation all the time now. That is a huge um, thing that is, you know, happening on uh, social media where a lot of non-Black people will partake in a Black culture, mm -hmm. if you will, and make, you know, all of a sudden have a million followers and make thousands or maybe even millions of dollars off of uh, things that we experienced or things that we do, um, whether it is joyful or whether it is painful. You know, a lot of our art was created amongst pain and sorrow and trauma, you know, and then they take whatever, you know, the whatever they feel uh, they can, they can and, uh, you know, put it in, in, in their essence or their being. And all of a sudden it becomes this different thing. And a lot and the society as a whole uh, is led to believe that, um us as black people had nothing to do with that when mm. it actually is all us. And we see it everywhere. A lot of people think that black freedmen in America don't have a culture, if you will, not realizing that most of American culture was created by black freedmen. <laughs> black culture is American culture because we created it all, you know? Um, and so that is also when we talk about explaining history and um, so on and so forth. Um, that's where things get lost. I tell kids all the time, uh, remember that black people created hip hop, but unfortunately, if you go to Broadway Dance Center in New York City and you look at a hip hop class, it is all white and Asians taking that class, right? And, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, the black kids whose ancestors created that dance can't afford this to get yeah, thank you for that, John. And it 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 gets me thinking. I'm thinking about the TikTok dances. I'm thinking about flossing. I'm thinking about this the ideas of appropriation. And um, one of the things that uh, we're reckoning with at Lincoln Center is the ground that we stand on, right? And mm -hmm. so not only the art forms that um, are based in Black traditions and Black artistic practice. Um, but, you know, erasure and displacement of a Black community that was vibrant, right? And one of um, our projects this summer will feature uh, young people learning to do the Charleston, which if you look at a lot of movie clips, um, you will see, you know, your white flappers with the blonde hair doing the Charleston and, and, and whatnot. But that is a dance that was that came out of Charleston, South Carolina, and based on uh, West African Juba dance. And, you know, so helping um, or, or being a part of reaching back to these traditions, right, and reaching back to this joyful thing that was part of one of the first um, all Black reviews on Broadway, and letting that be known. Right, letting it be known that this dance comes out of this community, comes out of uh, uh, dock workers on the Upper West Side, where Lincoln Center, a bastion of Western um, arts practice, sits, and and that we, you know, we were there, right? So, kind of, um, I, I think what's really important is that we start to take it back. Right, just because there has been erasure doesn't mean that we can't rewrite the book mm. and retell the story. And that doesn't mean just in a book, but to create spaces 
and places and a sense of being able to stand in the history with young people so that they are carrying it forward so that a young person can go home and say to their family, Ma, I didn't know that the Charleston was a dance that was based on West African dance. I didn't know that there was this vibrant artistic community where Lincoln Center now stands. I now see that this organization is reckoning with its history. And that's something we need to do, right? That's Absolutely. That, yeah. And, and to add to that, um, when we talk about uh, um, introducing uh, our youth to old dances that we have influenced or that we have created, um, the culture, uh, knowing that by doing that, we have the opportunity to shift the culture for the good. Kids follow culture. You know, when I was coming up in the late 80s into the 90s in high school, you know, everybody was wearing cross colors, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the thing. It was the culture. And whatever the culture was, it's what you did. And I think it's important for us as educators to know that if we get enough of the financial backing and, uh, and the manpower, we have the influence to actually shift the culture for the good, get more kids into the arts, um, playing instruments, you know, um, going into different forms of dance other than hip hop, because they're made to believe that that's the only dance form that they can do, you know, um, and understanding that, you know, just truly understanding how powerful the word culture is, whether it's Black culture, whether it is, you know, culture in the community and in the things that are common in the community, it definitely, um, has a huge impact on the trajectory and uh, the potential span of what a child would be able to reach. Absolutely. And Curtis, did you have a, a follow-up to that? Yes. I, everybody's saying so many beautiful things that I, I'm going to have a hard time <laughs> consolidating my thoughts right now. But um, um, I was just thinking about applying this to the classical sphere um, where a lot of what we learn is not necessarily our culture. A teacher actually once asked me, um, they were trying to teach their kid, a person that was not a black or brown person, they were trying to teach their students who were black and brown um, about, about Negro spirituals on the violin and things like that. And so at that, and they, they said they got pushed back. And so mm. the, the reaction question to that was, um, are we allowed to teach this music to our kids? Hmm. And my thought was that that is the wrong question. The question is, how do we reference the people who, where this came from? How do you bring people into the classroom to, to teach that music? How do you go into their, their places of wherever that music is coming from, from them to, so they can teach you the teacher? So that it's like a, a two-way street because in classical music, I don't ever get, nobody gets upset when I'm playing Mozart, you know, <laughs> you know, so, so why would, why, you know, everybody should be able to do this thing and we should be able to cite and enjoy um, the origin stories. I was thinking about, you know, the culture thing that you were talking about. And it's like, that's where our superpower comes from 
you know, when we understand our origin story and what's underneath the the concrete of Lincoln Center, what's this thing living underneath the, you know, and if 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 we don't actually talk about it and unearth it, then it, it just remains there dormant. And it's almost like, you know, we don't we don't get to tap into our superpower. And I can see those stories being told in that way for kids so that history is is truly a story, a one version of a story and not the the absolute truth because with every generation they will understand it differently especially as they get to know more about various cultures and times Uh, absolutely Uh, queen do you have a take on this as well i just like her to said i just feel full i feel like i'm eating this is food i'm so excited i'm just i'm so grateful to be in this space with you all um, I'm inspired. I, I just had a couple of thoughts just from what I'm hearing from what everybody is sharing and um, something that Daisha said that really uh, resonated and stuck with me um, as you talked about the Charleston, right? And I think what's imperative to and a way or a tool or a technique that we can use is this idea of, I literally had to write down notes, like I have no <laughs> Um, so I was thinking about this idea of contrast, using contrast as a conduit for conversation Mm -hmm. and through those, that contrast. So like the past to the present, using it as a bridge to inform students, to inform our, our children, right? Our, our, our children really in essence, um, even again, as Curtis said, um, you know, if you're teaching, you know, Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, it's like, why not? So using the past is what I'm saying. Um, that contrast, again, as the conduit for conversation to help teach and educate. So bridging that gap, having a sense of, well, why is it relevant here? Well, that dance originated from here. That song, those lyrics really came from here. And when you think about hip hop culture, very similar to this idea of sampling, mm-hmm. right? You're rocking out to this, whether it's something 90s, but that was sampled from Ohio players, you know, <laughs> in the early 70s. It really came from there. So again, it's about that contrast, creating the conversation through something in the past, but bringing it to a sense of relevancy now. And I think that's really important. And the other quick thing that I wanted to mention is that education, not that it hasn't always been that, but I think even more so now um, becomes a space for revolution, right? So education is is in effect revolutionary territory. So whether again, you have that support or as I mentioned before, you're going out on the limb, (laughs) right? Um, And you're creating curriculum that speaks to everything that we're talking about, these spaces. Um, It's just so key and it's so important, especially with the racers. We're talking about African-American culture and wanting that to not be placed in educational spaces and and academia, even on a collegiate level, Mm -hmm. where it should be commonplace at that point to be taught, right? This is a whole new issue. Well, no, let's not put it there. So there's almost a responsibility from a revolutionary standpoint to say, you know what? I'm going to speak this. I'm going to let us know and and let the students know that these things did exist, have always existed, and we need to find ways for those conversations to remain through our oral, oral traditional ways. 
Yeah. So, so that makes me think, cause I, I also, I strongly, strongly agree with that. What are the things and the topics from black culture that we should be teaching that we're not right. So I'll give you an example um, a, a dear friend and colleague only at Lincoln Center um, is uh, has uh, curated a presentation of whacking this summer on campus and I was super excited to see that because I, I definitely feel like um, the influence of, of queer black people is is frequently erased from all kinds of conversations right it's given me a lot of great ideas for some future educational planning where, where else are we missing opportunities to talk about things that we have done and that we continue to do that that we want to make sure that our kids know about i quickly want to say this and let the other panel members because again daisha joy celebration mm -hmm. finding ways mm -hmm. where we can have a sense of pride ownership, right? We are inventors, mm -hmm. science, mm -hmm. math, arts, and so uplifting, enriching, informing, because those are the things that are not really taught and celebrated. Yeah. Those are reasons why it's like, really, we did do that? Absolutely. And so, yes, slavery, civil rights, Jim Crow, that's a springboard as in order to be indicative as to our inventiveness our resilience, but now telling the other part. Yeah. And oftentimes the celebration, the joy does not want to be told because that is what's uplifting. That is what's inspiring. That's what's revolutionary and transformative with our students. And then it's the fear of what happens when that information is imparted on our youth. So it's yeah. telling that part, part B, what happens <laughs> after, yeah. not just the cause, but the effect, what happens. So I just wanted to quickly throw that seed out there because the joy and the celebration, that's often what's left out and what we have to honor and share with them to inspire them to keep going because it gives a sense of identity and pride. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, as well, I, to add to that, we talk about the joy and uh, celebration and togetherness. When we, even when we talk about uh, slavery and that what was happening during that time, we weren't allowed to play drums. We were not allowed to convene amongst each other because the minute we got to singing and dancing, we'd be ready to whip ass, right? Because it would ignite a fire, you know, in us. Um, and that should be talked about how they try to strip everything and try to and push another culture on us, how it's still, you know, even as they try to push another culture on us, we still come through the cracks, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there's also been a lot of um, things that were looked down upon or that our culture has looked down upon in the past that is innate to our being and our culture, you know, that we don't realize because we did not take the time to really, you know, look into the history or we were not told about the history, you know. So when I talk to kids about, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, there used to be drumming circles and they would communicate from a plantation to plantation through music about what was happening and what their plans were. And they got, you know, the the plantation owners got wind of what was going on and all of that ceased, you know. Um, and so even then amongst the slavery, there was music, you know, was there, art, culture, it was all there. But of course we just talked, it's very one-sided and so, as said, everyone was saying we need to we need to explore the multifacets and nuances of all of those eras. Absolutely. 
I, I love that. And I, I think in, in my field of just, <laughs> just to talk about the fact that slavery does exist at all would be nice I think, um, how it affected um <laughs> just the production of music and how it affects the way we the um, industry of music in terms of genre and how it's disseminated and who who gets what category of what you know just to talk about that and also just to make music from the spirit um of of that of that oral spirit when when somebody's playing a drum and you're hearing it and you're communicating and you're going back and forth there's a sense of improvisation there's a sense of but real communication there's a, a spirit that goes back and forth that's something that doesn't that we um we wait to teach that until the student is somehow perceived to be a master in classical music they, they've mastered their instrument they have they've honed their craft they've learned their their scales and their you know they've played all their bach what a blah blah blahs and so at that point only at that point can they truly communicate and i think i think that's a flaw i think in in our in our music curriculum we can talk about call and response we can talk about um the blues and we can talk about coming playing from a feeling um ways much sooner in in their teaching and their studies but to to add to that when you talk about you know, um, you don't get those types of nuances until a person is in their kind of uh, top level of being a um, an artist. Those things need to be taught to our kids, you know, like eight, nine years old. Um, those types uh, of um, little nuggets are really beneficial and, again, can start to shift the trajectory of where a, a child is going to go like you know when I when we were coming up it was okay to be in the band and play an instrument. Mm -hmm. Now it is not, mm -hmm. right? It is it is not cool. But unfortunately, a lot of our kids miss out because in at HBCUs, the football team and the basketball team don't have the money. The bands have the money. So if you want to get a scholarship to go to a HBCU, you're better off playing the clarinet than grabbing a basketball. How about that? Um, but you know. Every kid wants to be a basketball player. They want to be a rapper. And, you know, a lot of these kids, it's not their calling from Jesus to <laughs> be <laughs> this, this basketball player. <laughs> you know, I talk to kids all the time. And, I, you know, young boys coming in freshman year of high school. So what do you want to do after college? I mean, after high school. And their answer is, after high school, I want to go to college and play basketball. Not, I want to go to college in major engineering or biology and hopefully get a basketball scholarship so I can pursue, they just want to go so that they can say they played basketball. And then my next question is, did you make the school team? Because a lot of them did not, but they still mm -hmm. think that they're going to go to college, you know, and, and play, you know, uh, sports. When they actually could be, would be better off with a trumpet or you know, some drumstick in their hands. Um, number one, um, unfortunately, uh, when you're in the band, it takes away your street credibility because it's not cool mm -hmm. to be in the band. Oh, I often tell parents, if you want your child to really be successful, you, it, you, you have a better chance of them playing an instrument than being an athlete. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Factual, factual. Did you get that? I, I did, and um, I not not only did I get it, I'm proof of it. So, um, Professor Washington, did you yeah. have a follow you up know. to that as well? 
Oh my gosh. I am in that place of so many notes and so much going on that I'm going to try and put this together and make some sense of it. But um, coming out of all this, I'm thinking about um, the ways in which, you know, thinking about basketball, it's kind of the lane that we've been given, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, just like who's good at basketball, Black folks are good at basketball. And, you know, it feels like a, a space that was given to us in a way um, by white culture. And so I'm thinking about interruption and disruption of those ideas. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm thinking going back to what Queen said about revolution, and it is a revolution. And it's a revolution that needs to happen um, outwardly, but it needs to happen inwardly too amongst the culture so that young people understand the idea that playing a clarinet might be a very fine way to move yourself ahead in life, right? And to get a scholarship to a university, whether you choose to do that for the rest of your life or not, that there are other pathways. And we have been prescribed pathways that, um, you know, are, are not serving, are not serving the people in the culture. Um, another thing that I think is a privilege that, <laughs> young black people don't always know that they have is imagination, mm. right? And the power to imagine things differently and to see a different pathway for yourself. And um, I don't know how you, how you teach that, but I do know that it happens in the arts, right? And that keeping or making opportunities available for young people to be in the arts, to, see themselves differently to engage on a, on a different level to um try out music that they don't think is for them or places and spaces that they don't think they belong is the most valuable experience that they can have you know and the other idea that is coming through to me, and I know I'm not, I, I'm kind of stringing this together because I just heard so many things that, again, my, my belly is full right now, <laughs> very full, um, is the power to create, right? So not just, one of the things that I found restrictive when I was a young violinist and then cellist was that it was a very, it was conforming right it was there was no improvisation there was no there were not those opportunities for me my stepbrother got to a point where he was finally as a violinist able to improvise um but that didn't feel like a path for me and so working with young people at a young age to be creators and to be makers and to see um to give them agency Right. Yeah, you need to know your technique, but how can you give young people agency as creators, as mm -hmm. as people who are leaders, right, to see themselves as leaders and not just followers in the arts at a young age, I think would be immensely valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know what else I think is restrictive? Um, not allowing our, our Black American children to understand that our culture is now and always has been in conversation with Afro-Latinidad, with um, Afro-Caribbean culture and African culture, right? And I feel like 
uh, obviously there are independent identities therein, but pretending as if we are, are not a part of a broader uh, fabric of beautiful blackness, I, I think is one of the places where I constantly worry, right? Um, but I, I just have to say, this has been like a really extraordinary moment. It feels strangely premature to stop the conversation at its appointed time, but I think maybe that means we need a part two. But, um, you know, there, there's no way to get around the fact that it is happy hour. And as everybody knows, I have a tannins deficiency that I have to attend to. So I will take this moment to ask everybody, um, any parting thoughts do you have for the audience, things coming up that you want to promote, um, words of wisdom, anything like that? Um, I will just, again, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I knew it would be good. I didn't know it would be great. <laughs> it was great, even for a short period of time. Shout out to everyone on the panel. Super inspired. I will be reaching out to everyone. <laughs> Let me just say that. Um, uh, again, shout out to the Hip Hop Education Center, of course, Martha Diaz, for allowing this space to even exist for me to have this conversation with you thank all. Thank you, Martha. Um, thank you, Martha. And just continue to be courageous within our own selves, uh, defy norms and tradition, push past fear, personal fear, societal things that exist on that level so that we can really be our best selves to show up for ourselves and then our communities, our families, and then our communities. Through that, the voice really reverberates on a whole nother level and we plant real seeds of growth and inspiration for others. That's Thank what, you. yeah. I would say do what you can to interrupt what has existed. Um, I'm lucky enough to work with an amazing team. No, I'm not buttering up my boss right now, <laughs> Dr. Bynum. Um, but, uh, you know, where you can create opportunities uh, like we're talking about, um, just plugging Young Artists Pipeline program is going to launch in the fall, is intended to give students who lack access, who are Title I, who cannot afford those expensive lessons, access to the arts at a point where it will be meaningful in their young lives, and to create, yes, a pipeline, reappropriate that word, not the, the school to prison pipeline, but the studio to career pipeline uh, for young people and to you know, make sure that we're meeting them at every age and every stage and that they see the possibility and the opportunity and they see faces in front of them that look like their faces and are carrying them on their shoulders as, as we've stood on other people's shoulders. So, you know, have a strong back, you know, like build that. the muscle and carry it forward. Um, I would, uh, this was a wonderful talk. Wonderful, wonderful. I would say to the parents, if parents are listening, um, especially if they are in areas of the country where they don't have a lot of access um, and it's not necessarily popular to have your child dwell in the arts, don't be afraid to go against the grain. Um, I, again, we talk about culture and what everyone else is doing. I think that a lot of times we do a, uh, our children a disservice by putting them in activities or in spaces just because every other parent is doing it. 
Um, really give your, your child the chance to explore in the arts and see what they really like. To the arts educators, um, I know sometimes it feels like it is an uphill battle um, <laughs> because of the overpopularization and exposure of things like athletics and so on and so forth. But know that I commend you for what you do and that uh, we are all moving mountains, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Um, and you can also uh, take a look at my website and my nonprofit at www.stepn2thelight.com. Um, yeah, I, I just piggybacking off of what everyone has said, um, just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not out there. And just, just, just because you haven't found it doesn't mean it's not out there and doesn't mean you can't create it. Um, and the next the next step is there's all these organizations that the five of us are a part of, and there's so many more out there in the world that we're looking for you. So just let us let us know. And uh, since you didn't say it, Curtis, I will say it. Curtis has a new album out. It's absolutely amazing. It's been played nonstop in this house, and it should be being played nonstop in your home too. So thank you, Curtis and Queen and Dacia and John for being here today. This was absolutely amazing. And to all of the scorekeepers out there, Happy Juneteenth. Goodbye, everybody. And we are back. Thank you, Lee. That was such an amazing, amazing conversation. So fun. So informative. Y'all are just... <laughs> I don't have words. Brilliant. I don't have words. Brilliant. Yeah, well, well, thank you. Uh, the being able to do this annual Juneteenth panel has been like a, a really amazing learning process for me. Had the opportunity to talk to a lot of great, really brilliant people over the last couple of years and share some some stuff that different folks are working on all over the country. So this is this has really been a joy. And I feel like this for me was um, a real highlight of the entire score experience. So mm. yeah, thank hey. you. Yeah, great. well, it was a highlight for us too. Oh, y'all are so it. sweet. Well, Most yeah. of the time. Well, you know, it reminds me of, <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of, of my, my mother when she and my stepdad were first dating. And I was going to meet him for the first time at a restaurant and we were sitting in the parking lot. My mom was like, I don't want you to be nervous. I just want you to be yourself. Only nice. <laughs> anyway, okay. it's time for our favorite segment. <laughs> you ready, Paige? Ready. Add a what? Add a do. Add a what? Two, three, four. It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, PB and J time. Mm, so smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody, it is time for one last pure black joy where we talk oh. about the people, place, black people, black people specifically, <laughs> uh, places, things, food, music, culture um, that is making us happy this week. Who would like to go first? 
on me. Okay. Um, so reporting from the Antoinette Perry Awards, which happened just last week, honoring excellence in the American theater. Um, they honored a lot of black excellence. And mm -hmm. there are three people in particular who I want to shout out and congratulate. Um, first, uh, my very favorite Broadway actress, my first favorite Broadway actress, my current favorite Broadway actress, the great La Chance, mm -hmm. won two Tonys this past <laughs> week um, for producing Best Musical, Kimberly Akimbo, and Best Play Revival, Top Dog, Underdog, a fantastic play by my the great goodness. Susan Lori Parks. Mm -hmm. So shout to La Chance, her, uh, her, trophy shelf must be about to buckle because that, <laughs> <laughs> that is quite a feat. Um, so love that. And then two black, queer, non-binary performers. Right? Right? Yeah. Best yeah. actor and featured actor in a musical, Jade yeah. Harrison Gee, Alex Newell, extraordinarily talented, singing, dancing, acting beautiful also we're in beautiful gowns nice gowns mm -hmm. beautiful gowns mm -hmm. beautiful gowns uh, gorgeous mm -hmm. beautiful gowns <laughs> yes so so proud of them all three of them made me really really happy um yeah just super excited proud um glad for all of us in the community and really mm -hmm. glad for mm -hmm. kids because i can tell you that kind of thing makes such a difference. And I can imagine, you know, being 12 years old, if I had seen something like that, I, I it would have probably certainly changed the course of middle school, but like changed the course of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Blowing down the hallway <laughs> on the way to math class. <laughs> so yeah, that did my old ticker. Um, really, really happy to see yeah this kind of representation and i will just let it hang in the air for those of you who make decisions maybe it's also time we rethink how some of these categories are gendered mm -hmm. i'm just gonna yeah. leave that sitting out there i know this is a conversation that's already happening but we should keep on having it until we get to a real resolution but in the meantime congratulations to alex and jay harrison and lachance and i am Maybe have to come off some ducats and go see a Broadway show because that mm -hmm. made me really, really proud to be a part of the New York theater community. No, I've been on the treadmill lately, just like build the life that I love that song. Anyway, <laughs> Paige, yes. what you got? Speaking of representation, mine is a. Uh... Lizzo and the videos from her tour that are being like posted on Instagram by her and by others and specifically I my heart melts every time there is a young black girl or femme who is you know a child in a bigger body who is just getting their life to Lizzo and looking mm. so happy. And I saw, you know, a little photo of like a girl, a black girl she had brought up on stage who like looked very much a lot how I looked when I was younger. You know, I am, I am proudly, you know, fat black femme now have been for many, many, many years. And so just to see that and to see like 
that little girl like seeing that she can do anything that like she can be in front of a million thousand fans or whatever too and all of them cheering for her or you know she can get up in front of people and dance and you know she can loudly and you know just publicly love herself that means everything and it's Mm -hmm. like you said lee like my little self if there was a Lizzo around, oh, <laughs> honey, yeah, it absolutely would have changed things. It absolutely would have. Um, yeah. And I just think about like how, for how many of us, like that first bit of like doubt and like, as Sonia Renee Taylor calls it, body terrorism that mm-hmm. happens. It happens when we're really, really young. Yeah. Like when people judging our bodies or people put children on diets all the mm-hmm. time make mm-hmm. ways comments about children's weight all the time um and from a very young age people are very intolerant of the scientific fact that we have different body sizes and shapes yeah like people try to force people into thin bodies very very young and so just to see like these children being affirmed fully affirmed like ah, mm-hmm. it gets me it gets me that representation is it's so 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 important and really i is. love lizzo's message she is pure black joy whenever i see <laughs> her and i think like also what she's doing especially just like a balm a balm for all the other things that especially young folks on social media have telling them that like their bodies are wrong or yeah. you know they have so many images in front of them that make them self-conscious and stuff and so i love that she's what she's doing to combat that so yeah my pure black joy is uh lizzo and all the young fat black femmes out there who are learning to love themselves through her music so yeah yeah no i wish i had had somebody like lizzo as well when i was a kid because i was i was a husky child (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know was made to feel you know in the late 90s you know was made to feel like I was and it's it's still a a pain that I carry with me today yeah and uh, to have somebody out there that is affirming these kids so they don't have to go through that is just it's just a beautiful thing yeah Yeah. um yeah ah okay (laughs) I'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna cry (laughs) yeah because they have Lizzo we had Oprah her wagon of fat (laughs) (laughs) and I had to live through the the age of terrorism known as low rise jeans. The violence that that era wrought on communities. And they're trying to bring it back. I don't understand. No, absolutely not. No. I will start a whole campaign. I will start yeah. a personal anti low rise jean campaign. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> <laughs> please give me my dad jeans any day. Of the week. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess because it's it's the last episode of the score. Um, my pure black joy really is this, um, oh. and what we've been able to build for the last two years 
two and a half or two and some change or however long it's been um 58 episodes um with the the three of us getting to hang out and get to know each other and become friends and learn and grow and i'm i'm like a podcast producer now that's cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) and it's just it's been so fun it really has been like the highlight of my career to this point and just sort of personally just a highlight of my life um and of course getting to meet all of the incredible guests on the show and i'm not going to sit here and name all of them um but you know <laughs> y'all can go back in the back catalog and, <laughs> and check it out um we've had so many incredible guests on the show who i've been able to learn from and have just really really just beautiful moments and conversations with um but i do want to highlight two of them in particular and they are more than guests they are family um the score would not be the show that it is today um and we would not be able to move on to these fun new adventures that are going to happen later this year without frankie charles and emily mettenbrink they um are two incredibly smart patient funny intelligent individuals um who really came in and helped us with our schedules helped us booking guests made sure that people were getting paid on time like organizing all of the forms and the w9s <laughs> and <laughs> all of that all of that stuff so that we could sit here and you know focus on being creative and making the show what it is um and of course both of them have been on the show several <laughs> times <laughs> um frankie most recently on the trans takeover episode emilia back in in i guess february when um Beyonce did not get her fangs yeah and Amelia was the very first guest we had yeah. on the show yes, she was so she, she was. really took a chance on an untested <laughs> um <laughs> like what is this what are we talking about what's going on <laughs> and she came in and she was just like let me let me help you out with my brilliance and um so I just really want to thank the two of them um, for for coming in and helping us with their their Virgo and Aquarius energy, respectively, <laughs> uh, coming in and and really um, making the show what it is because we would not be here without them. So, uh, shout out to Frankie Absolutely. and Amalia. If y'all could see the the smiles of adoration on all of our faces <laughs> for Frankie and Emil, we appreciate yeah. y'all so much. We really do. And I I think we'd also be a bit remiss if we didn't also thank Ryan, um, of course, of our course. our wonderful leader at Minnesota Opera, who made a lot of space and and similarly took a chance on. Um, <laughs> something that was kind of untested. And at the time I'd been in my role for like 30 minutes 
and <laughs> <laughs> so would I. <laughs> and I think without you know his openness and and generosity and consistent support and um, advocacy, the the show would not have existed. And also, I personally just want to make sure I also thank all of our colleagues in the impact department, mm -hmm. Faye and Daniel, Rick, Jared, uh, Samuel, Sarah, and also um, Rebecca and Pablo, because this really was a group effort all along. Um, and even those folks who didn't appear on the show picked up um, Slack and added support and were thoughtful and helpful all along as we endeavored to do a thing that hadn't really been done, certainly not in this way. And, and I know that if it hadn't been for the support um, of the team, that this also would not have come together as well as it did or lasted as long as it did. Um, so thank you to all of those beautiful people, all of whom I miss terribly. It was a Yay. wonderful time working with all of you. And I, I still think about you all fondly and and pray for your well-being as well <laughs> <laughs> well with all that said i suppose it's on to new adventures mm -hmm. oh my goodness gracious well like i said at the top of the show uh stay tuned to this channel don't unsubscribe in do fact not. do not in fact leave us some reviews <laughs> this is still gonna help us. <laughs> How many stars would you more? recommend they leave? Hmm? How many stars would you recommend they leave? Well, five. Oh, okay, just checking. Because, yeah. oh, you know what? I haven't. Should I go and check and see if anybody has reviewed us lately? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. Let's <laughs> Let me go do that. Um, yeah, we'll see if you all did your homework. Mm hmm. Because you <laughs> shouldn't come to art class if you're not doing your homework. Thank you. Well. Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> well, there doesn't seem to be any. <laughs> I see reviews. Where? There, we, we have a 4.7 out of 5 stars. Oh. 22 ratings. Ooh, someone's a hater and gave one star. Who are you? You know who it is. <laughs> We have to cut that out. <laughs> We're recording. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Whoops. You know, it's the last day of class. You cut up on the last day of class, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i clearly need to get my life together before we attempt to to do a live <laughs> <laughs> okay well i can't on the thing it's not letting me see any how do we have any written reviews there are two of them but they're okay not so that we, we don't have any new ones yeah all right so we don't have any new ones I have told y'all so many times. <laughs> but also, this is on Apple Podcasts, so maybe there's something on Spotify. I don't know. Oh, well, maybe y'all right. are listening on Spotify. Okay. Well, whatever. Wherever you <laughs> need to go <laughs> to write a review, I'm sick of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> write a review. <laughs> My God. Anyway. <laughs> 
But with that, we'd like to thank you all so much um, for sticking with us for the last two years. It's been a blast. We've had so much fun. And um, before we go for one last time, any words of wisdom, y'all? Oh, yeah, uh, it may be too soon, but y'all need to stay up out the ocean. This it's, Ooh, it's not child. a game and y'all clearly don't know how to act. You, you don't know what the ocean is and how it works. If it's not sharks, it's orcas or just like literal ocean pressure. It's not for us mm -mm. Like, up here on dry land. I know y'all went out there and saw that little mermaid and think that this is for everybody. It's not. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Just like them people who go like diving like deep into caves and be underground. Yes. And stuff and, like, I don't understand. And then be, you hear these stories about getting stuck. I'm like, there are, we're not meant to go mm -mm. everywhere on this planet. Mm -mm. That's some colonizer mentality. We're not really meant is. to really go is. everywhere. Yes, really yeah, yeah. Y'all need to. Y'all yeah. need to start. You gotta understand everything in for everybody. Mm -hmm. Stay on the land. Waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. <laughs> And stay tuned for, for our class. We will be back officially this fall, but we will break in this summer here and there with some more details and some more Beyonce. And we can't wait. So we'll see you all then. And um, this is us, the score, signing off one last time. Bye, y'all. We love you. Bye. Love you.